Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. I'd also like to apologize for the slightly off sound quality for the second half of the episode. It turns out that doing live in-studio recordings is something of an art. Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisnyaks. Uh, I should have thought about what I was going to say. Well, you can edit it, Yeah, I can. Yeah. It's Um, kind of a special episode uh to keep you sane during the quarantine. Yeah. Listeners, welcome to another Shelter in Place episode, uh, We are doing something very special indeed on this episode. Um, We are joined here live in studio (laughs) uh, by my wonderful spouse, Elizabeth. Honey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad Um, to be here. Yeah, it's nice to have (laughs) you. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. You know, maybe this all ends up on the cutting room floor and I do something else. Mm-hmm. Depends how we feel at the end of this. Yep. So when I, uh, listeners, some of you may know that when I initially conceived of this show, my idea had been, rather than having people come on and read things that they had trunked, uh, or necessarily read things that they had trunked, that I would have people come on and read, like, their juvenilia. And some very good friends convinced me that me, a nobody podcaster, starting a brand new show for the first time with no reputation, would have a really hard time getting, like, authors who people had heard of to come on and read embarrassing stuff on the show. And so we kind of workshopped it a little bit and ended up with the format that you're used to. But, well... Fortunately, your wife loves you a lot. Yep. And has a lot of time on her hands right now. And I was able to find some of my writing from high school. Yay! Yay! So, you're going to be reading something that you wrote in 2007? Mm-hmm. Great called... spring of 2007. My... Second semester of my senior, or my, it was my second spring semester uh-huh. of my senior year of high school. Right. Because I took two years for my senior year. Quality, yep. Yep. So this was that spring where the fall I headed off to college and met Hillary that August. Nice. So we're going to be hearing something uh, that you wrote before I even knew you, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, and the title of this story? Well, I wouldn't entirely call this a story. Uh huh. I have fifteen pages uh-huh. of a document, single spaced, single, single spaced. Yeah. Um. point. Time news Roman. That was written and then abandoned, uh-huh. and then. Actually, it's Times New Roman 11. Whoa. Um, that was written and abandoned, and... Oh, hi, Seely. You really want to laugh? 
Maybe your daddy could help you with that. No. Celie's having a hard time with shelter in place as well. Yeah. But was written and abandoned, and until today, it had never been looked at again. Never edited it. Still never edited in <laughs> any way from the time it came out of my brain to the time it entered the laptop. Uh-huh. The title of this document is New Horse Thing. Quality. I mean, you know, give, like... It says what it is right on the tin, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no false advertising here. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be reading a couple of excerpts out of more sort of the middle of this document? Yeah. So, um, I looked through this uh, shortly before we started reading and picked out the choicest cringy moments for your amusement. Fantastic. And those are the ones I'm going to be reading. Uh, the story is um, largely set in a barn. I was a big horse kid through high school. Um, and it's set at a very expensive barn that is just opening a, like, at-risk youth program. So, mm-hmm. like, low-income kids are going to come ride, like, once a week or something like that. It has two main characters, both teenage girls. One who... Um, is wealthy and rides at the barn regularly and has her own horse. And the other one who, through a series of unfortunate events, is firmly suggested to attend this program by her mother. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, we're going to meet her first. The, uh, the not wealthy. The not wealthy one. And we are going to jump into it. She and her best friend are at the mall. Okay. 30 minutes later, Tara and Keisha stood at the invisible line that separated trendy jeans from the realm of cosmetics. In front of them, a variety of different booths boasted everything from luscious lip gloss to stainless steel eyelash curlers, each one manned by an intimidatingly fashionable woman in her late 20s or early 30s. Which one are we supposed to pick? Tara asked her best friend. How am I supposed to know? Keisha demanded. I'm just as much a virgin at this as you are. Tara stared at her friend in complete exasperation that could be only brought on by uncomfortable embarrassment. (laughs) As opposed to any other kind. Yeah, you know, the leisurely kind. Keisha was a short, almost pudgy black girl with unbelievably curly hair. (laughs) This was your idea, Tara pointed out tartly. So you get to figure out what to do now. Keisha was silent for a moment, lost in serious reflection. Finally, her face lit up and she turned to face Tara. We could, she began excitedly, forget this and get ice cream. (laughs) Tara returned her smile. I like the way you think. Together, the girls moved out across the sea of linoleum floor, confident now that they could ignore the uncomfortable island of cosmetics. Are you ladies interested in makeovers? A male voice asked cheerfully. They turned to see a good-natured-looking man in a black shoulder bag that apparently was part of the standard uniform for makeup artists. However, unlike the others, he had decorated his with pins with a variety of slogans like Rainbow Pride and Gay by Nature, Fabulous by Choice. (laughs) Well, Tara wavered. Yes, we are, Keisha said suddenly, warming to the man. Wonderful, the man said, leading them over to a booth splashed in vibrant, youthful colors. My name is Mark. What kind of look are you girls interested in? We're starting our junior year, Keisha began, 
but a woman stepping forward from around the booth cut her off. Say no more, she said, holding up her hands. Everyone knows that junior year is most important. I'm Bobby. Why don't you climb up on some stools and we'll get you started? Bobby was also in possession of the black shoulder bag, but she was way more out there than any of the other women working there. Her black hair was cut short and had bright pink and purple streaks slicing through it. Her ears appeared to be more metal than ear anymore, and she had a silver barbell through her left eyebrow. If she wasn't about to be in charge of putting the vibrant makeup all over the counter onto her face, Tara decided she would like this woman. (laughs) So you need something to wear to school and maybe the mall, something that looks like you just threw it on without thinking about what your classmates think about you. Am I right? Yeah, Tara said, smiling slightly. But it should be really easy, because honestly, I suck at this. All right, Bobby said warmly. Then I'm assuming you should stay away from liquid liner. God, yes, Keisha called over from where Mark was already getting started applying cream. The last time she tried to use liquid eyeliner, she looked like a raccoon had a bad fur day. (laughs) Like you did any better than me, Tara muttered, but without any venom. You have wonderful skin, Mark murmured. I hardly have to do any work at all. I love it when natural beauties come by. Keisha flushed and tried to glance away, but it was hard when the guy's face is like five inches away and staring at you intently. Yeah, remember when those two old women came in last month, Bobby called laughing? They must have been like 70 and wanted to know how to get rid of wrinkles. And you told them to go try the Wiccan on 10th Street, Mark groaned. How could I forget? We almost got fired for that. The time passed quickly. Both Mark and Bobby were good at making the girls relax. All right, Bobby said, spinning the stools to face the mirror. You're all done. Tara stared at her reflection in shock. Her skin had been thoroughly moisturized and a variety of concealers had been applied. So now her face looked smooth and flawless. Her lips glowed moistly with a (laughs) covering of pink lip gloss. But it was her eyes that seemed to draw attention. Bobby had covered them in a variety of browns and grays that contained a subtle yet noticeable shimmer. Where before Tara would have said her eyes were all right, they now glowed green. Oh. My. God. Tara! Keisha exclaimed. You look so hot! Tara turned to look at her friend. Keisha, she cried. Look at you! Keisha seemed to shimmer golden. I call her my Amazon princess, Mark said, coming up behind her. I just adore that skin. You can do anything with it. Okay. Believe it or not, it gets a little bit less cringy Uh for a bit. So I'm going to jump ahead. We're now going to pop over and meet Maria, who is the wealthy girl. Maria had a really bad day that ended up with her falling off her horse and breaking her arm. And um, her mom is just bringing her home. It's the first time we meet her mother. Okay. Okay. Three hours later, Maria was examining her brand new cast to do with her arm Mm -hmm. when her mother pulled into the driveway. As they walked up the front steps, the door was pulled open by a nameless maid. Maria's house was impressive, even by the standards of her rich friends. Four stories, seven bedrooms, all with spacious bathrooms, an indoor and outdoor pool accompanied by hot tubs, all wrapped in priceless marble, silks, and leathers, made Maria's humble abode overwhelming to most visitors. (laughs) Buenos noches, senora, the maid said, quickly stepping back. I hope the senorita is feeling well. I'm fine, Maria said, turning away. 
The señora and señorita must mean that her father wasn't at home. Her parents had very different ideas about how their cultural background should be handled. Her father, the corporate businessman, had shut off his culture almost completely in an effort to seem like an all-American boy who his rich white clients could easily relate to. He'd even gone so far as to having his business cards being printed Ed Martinez instead of Eduardo. It was only when his mother came to visit from Spain that Ed reverted back to his Hispanic heritage, speaking Spanish to the maid and calling Maria names like Mia Marita. However, Carmen, Maria's mother, considered her Mexican roots to be a source of pride, even going so far as to become a member of the Hispanic Cultural Center and insisting Maria take Spanish as her foreign language instead of the French Ed had favored. Carmen was the only one who never called her husband Ed. There had been many arguments about such radical differences in opinion, the most recent being about Carmen starting to volunteer as a Spanish tutor at the Adult Education Center. Chica, Carmen said, turning towards her daughter, I have a tutoring session scheduled for tonight, and you and your father would be on your own for dinner. But if you want me to cancel it, just say the word and I'll stay with you. No, Mama, Maria said, forcing a smile at her pretty and willful parent. I'll be fine. I think that I'm just going to go lay down for a bit anyway. All right, mi hija. Carmen kissed her daughter's forehead before turning away. Have a good rest. Ta-da. Ta-da. Okay. Um, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> it's, uh, when, when we were talking about doing this and you introduced, give me a couple of options of what you were going to read. You were like, and this one has some, you know, race and class things in it. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, obviously is, like, quality of writing is fine. Like, that's not what anybody would would twig off of here. It's the, you know, the problematicality of it. Well, to be fair... Uh Uh-huh. I'm not great at using my writing to speak the way a high schooler would speak, despite the fact I was in high school myself. Uh-huh. So they might twig off of that. But yeah, I'd say the problematic aspects are just leaping off the page at you, aren't uh-huh. they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, like... I feel like that's always the... One of the places where, like, white people especially get in trouble or can get themselves in trouble a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering you as a person who has a strong social justice compass and, mm-hmm. uh, an education in social work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can say some things about sort of where you are. Hmm. My my mind just went completely blank there. Uh, You're probably nervous that you as a white person will say something stupid talking about race. That's okay. I just went first, so don't even worry about it. (laughs) Right. Well, I think, like, I think that's kind of, you know, those are the two ends of the spectrum are either 
being so ignorant or not confidently unaware confidently unaware thank you <laughs> being so confidently unaware of the ability to do something problematic and harmful mhm or being so aware that you might do something problematic and harmful that you don't do anything at all yeah well i mean those are both really common if i'm thinking about it more academically like there have been several different academics who've developed like stages of race consciousness for white people mm-hmm. and um the early ones definitely are just like being unaware and then being really defensive Mm -hmm. And then starting to realize there is a problem with race in our society. And then um, getting really preachy about it. Uh Uh-huh. And and or getting really nervous about it. Mm -hmm. And then, according to the academics, at some point you get to a place where you're comfortable with it. Where you can be like a solid ally. Uh Uh-huh. But I think the reality of it is as we move throughout our lives and as we move, like, in different social settings where we'll be more or less comfortable, Mm -hmm. we as white people will be in any or all of those stages, like, across the board consistently throughout our lives, hopefully with your, like, average progressing towards, like, responsible and, like, accountable allyship as the goal. Moving towards being more enlightened. Yeah. Sure. I guess would be... I mean, I, I think your way was better. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the So I, I know that I spend too much time on Twitter and you spend no time on Twitter. Yeah, I try to avoid... I successfully try to avoid that shit show. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a healthy thing to do, but... One of the 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 second stage that you identified of being really defensive is, I think, something that is on display on Twitter a lot, um, and you know, on the internet in general, a lot, and that's sort of where a lot of uh, non-apologies come from, mm-hmm. and a lot of things like that. But it's it's interesting to hear about it from sort of a more academic standpoint. Because, like, I don't know, I got a uh, bachelor's in creative writing with a minor in English literature, like, the most, you know... Like, we we talked about social justice sometimes because we went to a fairly progressive school, but, like, it was never a focus in the way that it was for your social work education. Which is really quite a shame because storytellers have such a power to, like, shape our narrative of who people are and to give, um, mm-hmm. particularly children, but any anyone the opportunity to, like, see themselves in different roles and try on different roles through, like, aligning with imaginary characters. Right. That um, I think it's really selling creative writing um, majors short, like not embracing their real power to not have the intentionality of mm-hmm. 
of their context as part of the um, curriculum. Right. In the same way you would want craft. Like, knowing how to put a good sentence together isn't super great if you're saying shitty things. Right. Which is like, I mean, this is a gap that is being filled. um, I'm thinking particularly in the workshop space of K Tempest Bradford's uh, writing the other workshops, mm-hmm. which, and her, the book writing the other as well, that the whole curriculum is based around understanding. Cause what, what I was thinking of earlier, what, when you were talking was that like the thing for the the end of the spectrum where people are just too nervous to do anything for fear of being Which offensive is a middle middle of the spectrum yes yeah for for that particular area mm-hmm. is that it is just as much on the side against diversity as the people who just willfully only write other cishet white people like that being you know i i think it's a good it it's a good instinct to not want to be harmful like non-harming is is important but that you have to like you were saying about representation like if you're too afraid of being non of being harmful to even put other people on the page you're still shutting them out. Well, and and to be honest for me, I've definitely been in spaces where there's been some racial tension and hasn't haven't said anything. Mhm. And I would probably say that is because I was too nervous or I didn't want to offend someone or put someone on the spot. Um but really what it comes down to is I was feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I didn't want to look stupid right. or get in trouble myself. And so that nervousness, I think, comes more from a place most of the time of our own white fragility mm-hmm. than it does of like compassion towards other people. Not that yeah. that compassion can't be there as well, but a lot of the talking or not talking about race is really like our own baggage as white people and I think our own like cultural trauma of white people in that like in order to rationalize the horrible things that we continue to do and that we've done Mm -hmm. we have to do some pretty like dramatic mental leaps and those leaps can't be looked at closely so we can't be full and we can't be courageous right in the in a authentic way, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a lot of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting um, to hear that, like the in in the sections you read, it's interesting to hear the places where you you know did representation in a way that, as you said, was cringy. Versus uh, the character of Mark, who is an extremely accurate representation of pin gays. 
Yeah. And so that comes, I think, a lot from my own lived experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area. Right. um, And I'm white and I'm middle class. And I had a pretty segregated childhood and that I hung out with a lot of other white middle class people. Mm -hmm. And um, one of our areas of cognitive dissonance is... um, we lean a lot on the sexual diversity in our community mm-hmm. to, like, keep us from having to, like, look or think about areas where, despite being very liberal and despite having, like, good intentions or whatever, we're not being successful at, like, any kind of, like, equitable inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're, you're doing diversity along one axis to shield yourself from the fact that you you're not doing any diversity on the, the other axis. Yeah, and like and also because I mean like my family and my friends like legitimately do care about like the importance of like being nice to queer people and being accepting of queer people and that like we love our queer friends and family. Right. So, like, I mean you married is, a queer man like I did. Um but like that is something that is true, but it also can be a place where we can hide. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I think it's really telling that the place I did diversity the best was the place I, I had the most personal experience uh-huh. with and was probably the most comfortable writing. Mm-hmm. Though I didn't actually remember I wrote this, so I can't tell you exactly <laughs> what I was feeling or thinking when I wrote it. Right. I mean, you were also, like, homeschooled, so you didn't have the pin gays and the goths forming their, you know, unholy union. <laughs> Honey, I was homeschooled, which means, like, the majority were pin gays or goths. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair like, enough. Like, of my, like, close circle of us five, like, church girls, no. Uh-huh. But if you go to a homeschooling convention... That's where you'll find all the goths, all the mohawks, all the studs, all the queerness. Uh huh. Like, yeah, you yep. got it going on. <laughs> yeah, that's that's knowing a lot of homeschooled people. That is accurate. Mm-hmm. I was mostly just making a joke. Yeah. Careful. We're also, you know, a, a minority group. Yeah. Yes. Not a. Not to compare myself in a really insensitive way to other minority groups, but I can get defensive of my homeschool peeps because we have some negative stereotypes right. around ourselves. I mean, I think, like, I'm not going to say everybody belongs to... I will say that that many people belong to minority groups with a lowercase m and a lowercase g. Yeah. Versus belonging to, like, minority groups with capital M, capital G, where it's, like, like... You're talking about, like, identity versus, like, choice. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I do like this conversation, but I also want to be sure we talk about, like, specific beats in here. Uh Uh-huh. Because I'm very nervous... There will be cringy parts that people will think I didn't find cringy, and I really want to be clear yeah. where I fucked up. Yes. Okay. In so this story. Please elucidate. Okay. 
Well, let's see. I need to scroll to the right spot on my screen so okay. I can find them. Okay, I think probably the, um, you know, the first cringy one is the description of Keisha. Uh-huh. Who's... I described as having unbelievably curly hair. Uh-huh. Which is so white-centric. Uh-huh. And so painful. Right. And so othering. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's like... that. That is doing a bad description of a black person 101 right there. It's like, let's do some hair stuff. Yeah. So there's that. And then... Oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> There's the part where I refer to her as an Amazon princess, uh-huh. just the wrong fucking continent. Right. So that's really bad. Yeah. So a lot of my descriptions of Keisha, I'm assuming if a person of color, particularly a black woman, read this, they'd be like, yeah, this is for white people. Right. Which it was, because I, I was writing... Like, things I like to read Mm -hmm. the best I could being in high school. And um, I was in a, like, mostly white social group. Uh Uh-huh. Not not entirely, but, like, the majority. Yeah. 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 And, like, I didn't have a ton of super close friends, but those were mostly, like, other white straight girls, too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. So, my handling of Keisha is super problematic. Uh-huh. And then, um, I don't think all of my descriptions of Maria's family are problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're really interesting, and I, and I don't think... I mean, it's just a short ex- excerpt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know how well I would have handled it. If I had continued writing this story. Right. But, um, you know, I, I do think that the trying to look at how different people um, deal with racism mm-hmm. was interesting. Right. Um, and it, they're like, that's a conversation that is just like entirely ongoing in any immigrant community about like assimilation versus cultural pride let's say yeah i think it was my spanish Mm -hmm. that was so horrible mi hija mi hija yeah instead of mi hija and i hope so at this point i had two semesters of community college distance learning spanish that i squeaked by with a c on Uh uh-huh so i guess i was feeling real strong to just go into this hot Uh (laughs) uh-huh um i also have family who's um latino latino or mixed Uh uh-huh um who i love very dearly and are um like are very important part of my family Mm -hmm. but like being vulnerable here I do think I sometimes lean on the fact that there's, like, racial diversity in my family and the way other people would say, like, but I have a black friend. Uh-huh. So I was probably, my confidence to, like, forge into this area was probably also boosted by my ability to be like, I'm not racist or I don't know what I'm doing. I have Latina, Latino family members. Uh-huh, yeah. Except I didn't know that word because I used Hispanic. 
right. <laughs> in the story. Well, I mean, also, like, in 2007, I think, not to say, like... It was a lot more common. It should be given a pass. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and and I don't think either of us is trying to say, like, oh, we should be given a pass for things because we were ignorant or because, you know. Yeah. But, but that was, you know, it feels really awful to say, like, product of our time, but, like, in... In 2007, I don't think it was part of of the discourse that we were within mm-hmm. of the differentiation between being Hispanic and being uh, Latinx. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like kind of the purpose of looking at these really old stories the way you framed it to me was to, like, really, like show growth and explore how people grow Mm -hmm. so that's what i'm trying to to do in the dialogue is talk about like where i was then and where i am now and kind of like some of my thoughts about that process right yeah where like if i'd be much more concerned if i wrote this today Mm -hmm. um which is a weird paradox i just created But also, like, you know, I think it's important to be able to say when we fucked up and that we're trying to do better. Yeah, absolutely. I think that growth and that conversation is interesting and worth looking at. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why I agreed to do this and help out my wonderful husband. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, that is, you know... It's usually focused more on like the the craft end of things or like the business end of things, but like that's the the whole purpose of the time machine segment on regular episodes of like being able to look back and and tell yourself if you could go back in time and tell yourself things you know now mm-hmm. um, to you know not baby writer Elizabeth necessarily not to say that you don't write things or you are not a writer but like just as like you know a a baby woke mm-hmm. person yeah I mean and you could tell a like tell reading this I I feel like that little me I was like what 19 yeah um, no, I was 18, because it wasn't my birthday yet. Um, 18-year-old me, um, like, didn't have a lot of, like, skills in dealing with, but, like, new representation was important, and mm-hmm. it was important to not just have white people right. in her stories. And was also really interested in class, uh-huh. which... Um, like, so much of this, like, some of the, like, excerpts, one of the excerpts I didn't read um, is, like, dialogue that, like, came straight from my life. Uh-huh. Um, so it's interesting to see, like, kind of how much I was, like, processing of my life here. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Tara's not a popular person, so I'm not, I was not either, though popularity was different in homeschooling. Mm-hmm. than a high school but like processing like 
being a teenager, like popularity, um, race. I was really aware of race and I was really aware of racism. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not trying to put my family on blast. I'm just trying to like practice some like authentic vulnerability for myself. But mm-hmm. like different parts of my family have different relationships to race and their comfort talking about it mm-hmm. and that contrast made me like aware of it I think earlier than a lot of people living in like a white middle class community would right and my family also comes from like really different parts of the socioeconomic spectrum and I was kind of in the middle mm-hmm. so that was something I was always kind of aware with and trying to figure out like how do I fit into this? Where do I like to be mm-hmm. in this? Like, what does this mean for me? Which are all stuff I'm still trying to figure out now. Like, right. we bought a house this last summer in Oakland in, like, a gentrifying area. So, like, a lot of this stuff came up to be rehashed in new ways. Yep. So, it's interesting to see, like, younger me trying to figure this stuff out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Yeah, and that that's, like, yeah, we're, there's no suggestion that, like, we have, we have, or specifically that you have gotten woke now and, like, have it all figured out and are the enlightened white person, like, you know, yeah, we're, we're not getting I... into that white savior narrative, although... I think that there was um, maybe some white savior narrative happening in the... Yeah, I think it was, like, kind of around socioeconomic class. Mm-hmm. M- more than whiteness. So the two are so linked, especially in the United States. Right. Um, and I think it was... I mean, I... I, as a social worker, have worked primarily with low-income people of color, children Mm -hmm. of color. So I have a lot of my own white savior stuff to work for and be looking out for and trying to not let it come out. Right. um, In negative ways for my clients. But I think the differences in race in this were more me trying to understand, like... You know, because we have these narratives in the in the United States in particular around, like, our Puritan work ethic and that, like, the wealthy are, like, somehow better than the poor. Uh-huh. Um, which never felt true to me because, like, my family's awesome across the board. And right. I don't think... I never felt like it was, like, those choices that was the difference in the income. Mm-hmm. Um... So I think it was more like that I was trying to, like, kind of subconsciously play with. Mm-hmm. And also um, being, like, a middle-class person in my family, I was also, like, like my family very rarely all comes together, both sides of it. Mm-hmm. So I, like, have spent a lot of time feeling like I'm either going to one side or the other side and like being slightly out of place in either world like Mm -hmm. i'm comfortable in a middle class environment and i get like more uncomfortable as a step farther out from that right so like i think it was more trying to explore people going to like different 
communities and that like uncomfortableness of like going outside of your comfort zone that comes up Mm -hmm. is probably what was most resonating for me as like sub totally subconsciously right as i was writing this right so one of the things that you said earlier uh before we started recording about this was like you know if if this were written by like a novelist, uh, like a professional writer, that you'd read the shit out of it. Yeah, I mean, like, I love horse stories. I don't do mm-hmm. horsey things anymore, but I still love them. Yeah. You, and... re- you read me, uh, and I don't know if we want to get into it now, but you you read me a piece of this where you were like, this is some peak horse shit right here. Yeah, like, if you get later on to, like, the lessons about, like, how to groom and tack up a horse, like... Total horsey horsiness. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I, like, love horse stories. I love young adult fiction mm-hmm. so much. And I love works that play with race and class. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when they, like, nail it, which the author in my brain who's taken over the story for me is super good at this. Yeah. <laughs> handles it beautifully. Yeah. And, like, I think even though I, like, obviously fucked up a lot of the, like, descriptions of the, like, racial minority characters, mm-hmm. um, and I'm positive I would have fucked up, like, the low-income stuff if I had continued writing as well, uh-huh. <laughs> um, it, in similar ways, like, television fucks it up. Right. Um, but, like, I also feel like there's, you can feel this sense that, like, each, I, I was intending each character to be sympathetic. At this mm-hmm. point, I have not introduced, like, a character you would dislike. Mm-hmm. And so I think I was also trying to show that, like, diversity is, like, good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like there are lovely people across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have the skills to do to pull it off. Right. Yeah. And point. and you kind of like as we grow, we build our vocabulary, we we build our abilities to like we we build our awareness around it and then we build along with that awareness like we build our our um vocabulary around it mm-hmm. yeah right? and like like you know this is just pre-college you versus post-college you versus post-grad school you versus licensed clinical social worker me yeah exactly like someone who's been a practicing like professional social worker for coming on up on eight years now Mm post-graduation yeah and like you know that has informed how you look at the world like your spiritual practice has informed how you look at the world like Mm -hmm. like i think the the best thing to take away from all this is like yeah we keep we keep growing like we keep working at it and like we're gonna screw up sometimes like that's just that's expected that people are going to fuck up, but that we have the capacity uh, to 
learn from it and to move past it. Mm-hmm. Um, something that our guest on our March episode, uh, Jordan Corella, was talking about was uh, they took a, a class, a workshop where there was a class on how to apologize on Twitter. Oh. And that it cool. was basically, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it was identify where you fucked up, address where you fucked up, apologize for the harm you've done, fucking move on. Yeah. Like, don't, don't argue. Don't try to explain yourself. Say... I'm starting to cringe a little bit, because I did... This whole episode has been me explaining <laughs> myself. Right, but you're... Yeah. This isn't apologizing on Twitter. This is, like, this is a different thing, because you didn't put this out into the world as, like... Like, the, the, the Twitter apologies are, you know, a lot of mostly, like, cishet white guys doing offensive things and then doubling down on it versus mm-hmm. not doing that, where, it, like, this is a conversation about, here's this thing I read, I wrote, you know, 13 so years ago, and, oh my goodness, <laughs> oh, kitty cat, uh, you know, this is, here's this thing I wrote 13 years ago, and let's, you know, kind of cringe along to it together and also, like, talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I think the growth is really important. Um, I, a really great example of that is uh, the podcast, My Brother and My Brother and Me. Mm-hmm. Um, which I love, but so I, I loved it so much. I went back to listen to the original episodes and was horrified, particularly at the fat jokes. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of, of fat like, shaming. It's like the first, the first hundred episodes or so. It's like a lot of people asking for relationship advice, and it just gets kind of cringy. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but so like. Good on them for growing, trying Mm -hmm. to give myself some of that same credit. And also at the same time, like you mentioned earlier, not try to present myself as like an expert who has it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, And things like having, um, buying our house really brought into like the foreground that I did not have it figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, I like have had a few black bosses, um, one of whom I really didn't get along with. And, like, my nervousness of, like... Because I really felt that, like, race was one of the things among very many mm-hmm. that were getting in the way of our relationship. And I realized that if we were in a peer relationship, I, w- I probably would have addressed it. If it was a client where there's, like, I'm kind of higher on a power differential, I definitely would have addressed it. Mm -hmm. When she had authority over me, I just, like, clammed up. I got really scared. Right. So I, um, Celie says, this is very interesting, but I have no crunches. Yeah. So let's focus on what's really important, guys. Let's focus on the fact it's 15 minutes to your dinner time, bud. Yeah. But, so, yeah. So that, like... 
was one where I came home and I think I talked to you and I was like, I knew I should say something and I just got scared and did not. Right, yeah. Um, and so, like, there's a lot that comes up that I'm still trying to figure out, but um, I feel like I have come a long way and part of that is, like, I think my own experiences of, like, not being other with a capital O, but, like, being outside of a group or, like, not feeling like I fit into a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and that building empathy for, like, how I see that for other people. Right. Um, and then a lot of time spent, like, watching people really closely because I was, like, an anxious being who was very nervous. Mood, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, especially, like, with social anxiety and, like, middle and high school. Mm-hmm. Um, college, I, like settled some yeah but wasn't there yet when i was writing that it was it was so telling to me and i was like oh god yeah when there was that line about like we everybody knows junior year is is the most important Mm -hmm. and it was funny it was funny for me to have the adult the goth woman Mm -hmm. parrot that back because, like, you know, we, we're assuming that she has graduated from high school, graduated from college. Maybe. I mean, Maybe. she is... Yeah. Certainly, like... Beauty school, probably. Right. If not college as well. But that she has been navigating the adult world to some extent mm-hmm. for, you know, a couple of years would know, like, you know, I mean... Maybe it's different for people who, like, you know, go to a big high school and then go to the state school that's, like, in the same town. I can't I can't speak for their experiences, but, like, certainly for me going to, you know, a private liberal arts school 600 miles away from home, um, like, nothing I did in high school mattered. Yeah, but I still... It, like, I was at a large gathering, and I had to try to make conversation with a high schooler who was being kind of typical high schooler, not super wanting to talk to the weird adults. Mm-hmm. And they told me they were a junior. I'd be like, oh, you're applying to colleges, which is, like, another class thing coming out of yep. your mouth. Like, how's that going? I remember being really stressed out about that. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so, like, um, but I did I did remember another cringy thing I forgot to mention before. Oh, sure, yeah. Which was um, my ageism around the two old women. Oh, yeah. Where, like, maybe it's okay to leave that in because ageism is really common, and I, I wouldn't be unsurprised that, like, you know, people whose job it is is to make you look young, essentially. Right, yeah. That would come up. Mm-hmm. But it came up and it was unchallenged. Yeah. Like, yeah, did, that I don't is think something... I had any way realized there was any ageism there when I wrote it. it. For sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, that that's something, you know, if, if that were being left in, you know, if, if this were getting the, the uh, like, bestseller YA novel treatment, that, like, Hopefully that would be something if it was left in that, like, the author hung a lantern off of to be, like, you know, if not outright challenging it, like, being, like, 
oh, look at this thing that's problematic, like, let's address sort of uh, Western standards of beauty and let's address, you mm-hmm. know, modern standards of beauty, whatever. I just want to give a shout out to, I think it's, it's the author of Graceling, which is one book in a YA trilogy. Uh-huh. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Yeah. But in, I think, the first book, one of the characters has an injury and loses their sight. Mm-hmm. And then essentially gets it back through magical means. Uh-huh. Which is something very problematic that's called up by the disability community. To be honest, I didn't even notice it because disability rights is an area I have not done enough work in myself. Right. Um, and not, like, professionally. I mean, like, personally done my work. Right. Um. But in the second book, at the back, she had a whole thing that was like, I did this wrong, and this is the feedback I got after this book came out from the, um, like, dis- disabled people's community, and I'm sorry I did this, and I won't do this again, and I was like, Whoa! Yeah. I, like, I didn't know authors did this or could do this, and so, like, mm-hmm. that was really cool, and I think that's what you were calling out is the hope that, like, if you accidentally do something, you can, like, really own it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, like, going back to the McElroys, like, there was, at the end of Pedals to the Metal in in uh, Taz Balance... The Adventure that's Zone. The Adventure Zone, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, spoiler warning, there's a uh, bury your gaze trope that happens, and, like personally, you know, I wasn't, I teared up when it happened. I didn't immediately go, oh, that's hurtful to me. But like, when that, when that arc happened, like, they immediately got feedback from it and, you know, made, made changes, made apologies. And I know that there's some people in the fan community now with the the graphic novel coming out who are like trying to rewrite history and say, Oh, they, they, they never, they never did that. And kind of trying to erase the apologies they made and the work they've done following off of that. But like, that is, you know, that's the sort of thing that can happen mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, like apologizing on Twitter you're, you don't have to be perfect. You know, you don't have to do anything, but like you have the ability, you have the option to try to make it right. And to do that, you know, not for you personally, but for the people you hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it goes both ways. Like, Yes, you absolutely should have accountable for other people and, like, white, straight men in their case. Mm-hmm. Like, hi, buddy, you're so hungry. You're so hungry, I know. Yeah. Drama, 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 cat. He's actually been remarkably good. Yeah, Considering it's about to be his dinner time. But I, I really do think that, like, so you mentioned my spirituality earlier, and um, it reminded me, when you were talking about this, that when we went to the Martin Luther King March, I had a sign from the um, 
the president of my Buddhist organization, the Soka Gakkai, and the quote was, to discriminate against others in any way is to discriminate against your own life. Mm-hmm. And so I really do think it's important. Like, yes, we need to show up for people of color and all the other minority groups in like a real way and do like some real reparations mm-hmm. and some real accountability. But also like, if we don't do that, like, we're selling ourselves short. Like, we have the potential to be so much better. Right. And for us to be healthy, happy people and healthy, happy relationships, that work also needs to happen mm-hmm. both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Shouts to Ikeda-sensei. Woo! SGI, namyo go. Definitely leave that <laughs> Cool. So, you know, I I mentioned the time machine earlier, and I think this has kind of been a whole time machine episode uh, in general, but if there was one thing, if we can step into this nice blue telephone booth over here, Mm -hmm. um, and... (laughs) 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 Um... If, if we could go back uh, and if you could tell, you know, baby writer about to graduate high school, Elizabeth, anything, just like in general. Mm, that's hard. Cause there's a lot I would want to tell myself, but being told something, like getting advice frequently isn't that helpful. Mm-hmm. You need someone to like. It's the relationship that, like, heals people and helps them learn. It's not, like, words of wisdom. Right. But what I would like to convey to myself is just to, like, give myself a little bit more room to be more fearless. That, Mm -hmm. like, I will be accepted and it will be okay and it is okay to fuck up. Yeah. Um, But that there's, like, a lot of cool shit out there in the world and, like, try it more. Mm -hmm. Give me advice. That's... It's so rare that I get to like high five my guests <laughs> on the show because we're almost always doing this over hangouts. Yeah, well, you and Sharon just need to high five it up. Uh huh. Start another podcast. <laughs> well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much once again for being on the show. It's really been a pleasure. It's really. For me, it's really fun to get to share this with you. So, thanks, sweetie. Yeah, and we're sheltering in place, so we can continue this conversation for the next one to two months. Uh-huh. <laughs> woo <Woo-woo. Woo-woo. sighs> uh, Listeners, join us again on May the 15th, Friday, when my guest will be Annalie Flowerhorn. Uh, for a regular interview episode and join us again probably on the first Friday of June, whatever date that is, for whatever I decide to do then. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBisniaks.
If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject.